Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. We're going to take a trip down the Asian Silk Road. And tonight we're going to hear just a complete collection of different sounds and different kinds of music and different performers as well. The first country we're going to visit is on the west side. It's Turkey, one of the most beautiful and interesting and historic countries in the world. And this is going to be by a Westerner's point of view, namely Mozart. His opera, The Abduction from the Seraglio. What is the Seraglio? It's basically a Turkish harem. Uh, it's a long story. I won't get into the details. But to pay homage to Turkish music, we have the exotic instruments of the cymbal and the triangle. <laughs> it seems so ordinary today. They're such a normal part of the orchestra. But back then, it was exotic. Let's hear how Mozart incorporates this Turkish instrument, as well as listen to the middle of this overture. He also does something extraordinary. He has a slow section, an extended slow section, which is almost unheard of for the classical period. This is the overture to The Abduction from the Seraglio by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart.
this evening, you're going to hear some. Not yet. Throughout the evening, you're going to hear a juxtaposition of a European's idea of Asia and the real thing. That's what we're going to hear next. Now, we're going to have an instrument that is related to the lute, the Renaissance lute that you may have noticed. Um, a guitar with a bulbous end, you'll see that in just a moment. And this is called the Turkish oud, which comes, which is all over the Middle East. You'll see it in many different cultures, and it's a beautiful, expressive instrument. In fact, the three instruments you're going to hear this evening are all tied together, pardon the pun, they're all string instruments. Now, talk a little bit about, first off, the country that we're going to be experiencing. Um, we actually have a member of our orchestra who actually grew up in Turkey. It's our concertmaster. He was born there by Russian and Greek immigrants. And I'd like to just say, ask him just a few words about uh, the country of Turkey where she lived. So please welcome Alex Kalamides. strings, 
um, just in case there are some musicians in the audience. They're mostly tuned in fourths, and then you know the upper ones actually change depending on the key, what key it is. Yeah, absolutely. The importance of well, or the dangerousness of not having frets, like on a guitar, is that if he plays like a violinist, there are no uh, little lines to help him play something. So it's like ice skating on top of this instrument there. And could you tell us a little bit about the, is it is it a social uh, instrument, or do you play for ceremonies? Uh, this is. This is just like guitar, actually. This is the guitar of the Middle East. You actually see this instrument in Turkey, as well as Greece, Iraq, Iran, uh, North Africa, all over the place. And there are different contexts, actually. Some of them uh, use this instrument in religious ceremonies, such as the whirling dervishes might use this instrument. But also, it is part of the nightclubs. You might, you might actually see the same instrument in nightclubs playing dance tunes and other uh, secular pieces. Well, we'll try to have fun as well. This is a piece. Uh, this is a serto, it's a dance tune basically based on a Romanian dance. Uh, it's, it's very popular in Greek and, and Turkish music. It starts off calmly enough, but in the middle there's a section that's in 7 8, which is kind of a little bit tricky for us to play. But I understand many people in the Middle East, Baltic regions, play these complicated rhythms very, very easily. So we hope to do justice to that as well. So thank you so much. Manure, thank you. Thank you. 
be surprised that India is also part of the Silk Road. And it, of course, was trading of spices and all wonderful textiles as well. Now, Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov wrote an opera called Sadka. And in this beautiful opera, exotic opera as well, there is a mysterious guest from India, and he sings a song. This song, for some of our more experienced audience members, may sound relatively familiar. It's called Song of India, and it was made into a big, big band hit in 1939 by Tommy Dorsey. It's a catchy tune, that way. <laughs> but it's actually even more beautiful as the original from the opera. We're going to perform an arrangement of that. This is the original Song of India by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov.
music. Also equally beautiful is music from Arabia, or imagined Arabia, by Tchaikovsky, the Nutcracker. We're very familiar with this one piece, but I don't think we're really truly in touch with its meaning. The dance haram, or the Arabian dance, is about coffee. In fact, the whole second tableau is about food, my favorite subject. And the uh, Arabica bean, as we know it, is one of the most delicious beans, but it's actually from Ethiopia. So the Asian so-called didn't only emanate from Asia this way, but it emanated from Africa, the way back and forth. And one can imagine going back hundreds of years and seeing these people enjoy coffee. It's totally within our grasp. And this piece is very seductive as well. It's, it's very atmospheric. But I thought I'd go back and share with you what an actual Bedouin, Arabian uh, uh, tribes person would sing while they were grinding coffee. Now, they don't have electric coffee grinders back then. They would actually pound and grind and sing at the same time. This is what an actual Bedouin coffee grinder would sing.
And now we're going to go completely to the side to Asia, and we're going to Japan. And um, again, Westerners loved romanticizing Japan, in particular one of the most famous fantasies uh, or dramatic romantic portrayals is Madame Butterfly. And in the scene, Puccini, in his very Italian way, writes this gorgeous music that is accompanying the scene where Madame Butterfly and her uh, butterfly and her young son await uh, Pinkerton's hopeful but never in time arrival. And he has the chorus singing in the back, humming this almost a prayer, and the orchestra lightly accompanies. And so we're going to play for you this very, very famous accompaniment. But as you can see, we don't have an apparent chorus. But I think if you listen hard enough, you'll hear the humming anyway.
so just be right here again and we'll sing and play the entire piece. As you see here, we have a beautiful instrument coming on, and this is one of the most traditional Japanese instruments, and of course it's the koto. It is a 13-stringed instrument, which is quite numerous for a string instrument, and it's a little bit different than a Western instrument. Whereas we control pitches of the strings by the tuning pegs on our instruments, the little black ones at the top of the scroll, the koto is tuned by these movable pegs, if you will, the length of the string changes, so it's, a, I think, a fine art to tune as well as to play it. <laughs> it's one of the oldest instruments. It comes from the 7th and 8th century, imported from China, and uh, gone through many adaptations. It's a very popular instrument still today, especially in Japanese pop music. They like mixing old with new. Fascinating combination. I wish I could, in fact, if you'd like to come up in intermission, take a look at the music that she's reading. Our musicians are quite impressed with it as well. It's not regular notation, little black dots on a score. No, it's Japanese writing written in little blocks. And it's, it's fascinating how she, she reads this notation. It's completely unlike Western music. So please feel free to come and take a peek at this music at intermission. But please, welcome our Koto Virtuosa, Masayu Ishiguri.
doing now is she's retuning the koto to fit the piece that we're going to play together. As you can see, she's moving things across. I'm reminded because of her beautiful kimono that she's wearing that at the Timken Museum, one of our sister art organizations, they just opened an exhibition of beautiful kimonos. So if you're inspired, please visit that wonderful museum.
slight correction of information that the kimono exhibit is both at the San Diego Museum and the Timken Museum. In fact, the San Diego Museum of Art actually has the bigger kimono exhibit, so please take a look at, at both of those exhibits. Well, now we go to China, and of course, we do a whole concert around China. The work that we're going to play for you is quintessentially, you know, that European imperialist uh, but earnest attempt to replicate Chinese music. The beginning of the 19th century, Karl Maria von Weber, relatively well-known classical composer, um, found a music dictionary by Rousseau, uh, this musicologist, who went to China and actually toured around China and wrote down these melodies. Weber found this melody and said, aha, I'm going to write a, a piece around it. So he takes this melody and it sounds very Chinese because it is. And then he writes a very classical overture around it. So this is his overture to Turando, not by Puccini, but by Weber.
less musicological approach was taken by Tchaikovsky. Again, we go back to the Nutcracker, and in his Dance Chinoise, which is about tea, he synthesizes and uh, imagines what Chinese music could sound like. And as I mentioned before, it's going to be accompanied by a very traditional Chinese instrument, 
and it's the Peacock. And again, we have another international star playing this instrument. Please welcome Minnie Jalfrey. Thank you. 
This is the Chinese pipa, again, like the oud, very common in the culture of China, used for a lot of different instruments. But you see the commonality, you see the uh, comparison between the Turkish oud, the lute, and this instrument here. It goes back uh, many hundreds of years, and what you'll see, the, the similarity is by no accident. We think of the Asian Silk Road as being Western-bound, everything from Asia. That's not true. In this case, the pipa went through an evolution because of the oud. It was a certain shape, and then they, they commingled, and then they came up with this size and this instrument. Now, Min, could you tell us a little bit about the pipa, the, the, Instruments and even about its interesting name. Yeah, uh, the pipa name comes from a technique. When I stroke down, sound like a pipa, then sound like a P, and um, stroke up, sound like a pipa. So the sound, so that's why name comes from pipa, not name. And it's got uh, how many strings? Four strings? Four strings. Tuning is A, A, A. And uh, we'd like to ask you if you could just play in a very unadulterated form, a solo, and this is going to be, what is the name of the solo? It's a traditional Chinese song. Yeah, this piece of, uh, is, is people refer to a traditional piece called Sunny Spring, White Snow. Sunny Spring, White Snow. That's beautiful.
Thank you very much. I see one difference actually from the Turkish oud, which has no frets. These are very, very strong frets. They're like frets on steroids. They're very, very
Here's the real princess that has in my mind right now. The story of the Asian Silk Road began just a little bit before uh, maybe 150 years BC. And here's the legend, I'm sure it's only a legend, but it's beautiful nevertheless. A Chinese princess who was married to the third emperor of China was in her royal court with her uh, courtiers, and a little cocoon fell from the tree underneath the mulberry tree, fell into a cup of tea, and in this hot tea, it started to melt the cocoon. She went over to the tea and saw a strand appearing. And she was so enchanted by that, she ordered thousands of these little cocoon strands to be gathered up and to be made into a robe for the emperor. And indeed, for many years, the only people who wore silk robes were the emperor or the aristocracy. And through some, um, shall we say, errant monks, people who sort of snuck that secret ingredient and technique elsewhere, that other cultures and other uh, states of economic uh, class were able to enjoy silk clothing as well. Of course, we enjoy it. Uh, so this is the end of our Silk Road project, and we hope you enjoy it. And this is now Lady Monette, Empress of the Pagodas, by Maurice Ravel. Thank you. 
been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.